be frustrating time because you don't get to speak in complete sentences. You know, put that, put it, put it, put it down, sit up, stand up, go down, sit up, put it, stop, 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 that's how you sound, right? And that's very frustrating that you don't get to have adult conversations because you have these little ones and, you know, how that goes. Uh, and, and, you know, and then there's frustration because I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience with, with your parents. You know, some of you with kids, it's, it's very confusing when parents say things like this. They look at you with that angry look and they say, do it again. And you go, how do you mean that? You know what I mean? Do you mean if I do it again, you'll kill me or do you want me to do it again? I don't know what's going on here. Have you ever had your parents like, you know, like discipline and say, dry it up or I'll give you something to cry about. I'm, I'm suffering. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I can't cry. What does that mean? And then, you know, as adult parents, or those of you who, who are adults who have parents, sometimes it doesn't go away, you know. You get the phone call, hey, when are you coming to see me? You haven't been here in a while. You know, there's frustration there. I remember I had a roommate in college. I, I felt so bad for him. He, he was from Oklahoma, and he, we went to school in Florida. And he got a letter every day from his mom, every day. And he called it hate mail. Because every day, I felt so bad for him, every day it was just something criticizing how he hadn't been a good son. And he just dreaded going to the post office. And sometimes he wouldn't go and he'd let them stack up and open them. And I, and I thought, oh man, this is, this is frustrating. Uh, now, you can't, you can't raise your hand if this has ever happened. I, I'm, I'm, I'm recommending that you don't. And your spouse can be frustrating to you. Right? Don't point, you know, don't jab. Your spouse can be frustrating to you. You know, I can't ask you if it's happened because you're probably with them. But, and it may even happen today, you know. It, it always happens, you, you know, like, you know, why, why did the dryer break? It always happens on Sunday, if you know. Why did the dryer break today? And I couldn't get the kids, and one of them's half naked, and we drug them here, and they got food on their mouth, and something stuck in their hair, and the dog peed in the floor. And, you know, why today? And you're yelling at each other, and the car won't crank, and you get here late, and you walk in the door, and you go, Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Amen, brother. Good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, no. Everything's incredible. Bless Jesus. Bless you, Lord. So, we experience frustration in relationships. I, I brought a little video clip, one of my favorite, that uh, sort of illustrates this. So, take a look at this. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And... I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just... Don't! 
Try to see things my way. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Ladies, we're not picking on you. Next week's your day, Mother's Day. Come back. It'll be a great day, I promise. But everybody's experienced frustration in relationship, and I think there's no frustration on earth like re relational frustration, right? There's just, there's just nothing like it. And that's the reason we've been doing this series. So let's talk this morning. Where, where does frustration in marriage come from? Well, I found the top five. Here's the top five things that couples fight about. Free time, money, housework. Everybody, it's people are going, amen. Uh, physical intimacy. The other half of the room just said amen. Uh, extended family. Those are the five, the top five things that married couples fight about. Now, which one of those five do you think is number one? On most lists, it's number one, and if not one, it's two. It's money. It's money. Couples uh, oftentimes fight more about money than anything else. It's such a hot topic, it's often um, a leading cause of divorce. I remember I was sitting at a restaurant one day, and this couple decided to really double down on their budget. And, and I can remember them, like, you know, it wasn't long, but they had this little heated exchange because one of them ordered cheese on their burger, and they had decided they weren't going to do anything additional until they got out of debt or whatever. And I thought, wow. I thought, bro, your budget might be a little tight if adding a piece of cheese to the burger is causing this kind of, you know, tension. But may, maybe you heard the old saying, marriage is about love, divorce is about money. You heard that? Marriage is about love, divorce is about money. But look, here's the thing, and this is why we're going to talk about this today. It's not about what you make. It's about how you manage. Financial advisors will tell you most people do not have an income problem. They have a spending or management problem. And, and if you can shift your mind into a different way of thinking about how you and your spouse and your family dialogue and manage money, it'll oftentimes bring great changes. Now, too many times couples think, oh, no, no, that's not our problem. If we had more money, we could make our marriage work. Really, let's test that this morning. What if you had $600 million? Do you think that would be enough money to make your marriage work? Because uh, this, this couple right here, it didn't make their marriage work. They had $600 million million dollars and they divorced. So maybe you think, well, that's not quite enough. 660 million would really do it. How about this couple? They had 660 million and divorced. Maybe, maybe you're a little more, uh, instead of that level, maybe you're a little more of a billion person. Maybe if you had billions, that would be the amount of money that would fix. So uh, this person who you may not know, Larry Allison and his wife, he had 50 billion dollars. And I don't know which wife that is, but he had four. Did not fix his marriage. More money will not make your marriage work. So how are we doing in our relationship with money and the family? Well, let me give you a couple of stats that I found recently. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. You may not know this, student loan debt has now surpassed credit card debt because college is so high now. The average student loan balance is $29,400. That's probably as much as some of you that are a little older than I am paid for your first house. 
That's average student loan debt. Now, 90%, I want that to, that's the biggest number I want to sink into your mind today. 90% of Americans buy things they cannot afford. 90, that's like most of us, right? Let me just kind of narrow that down. I'm so good at statistics, that's most of us. Not only is money the number one thing couples fight about, more studies have been done to determine what part of money do couples fight about the most. You know the number one money issue couples fight about? Debt. Debt. Second is unagreed expenses. Wait, I thought we said we weren't going to, you're going to put cheese on your burger right here in front of everybody? We're not going to do that. Right? We didn't say we could spend that. Third is savings. So money, money is so personal and money is so, um, we all approach it so differently. When you take something as sensitive and unique as money and you put two people together and you hang a couple of kids on them that think that they deserve a payout, <laughs> and then you put a family where 90% of them spend money on things they can't afford, it's no wonder that there's tension and it causes problems. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. I want you, I want you to pay attention to this line. I, I, don't know, I don't know if I've ever noticed this before or I just forgot it was there. But I want you to notice this. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Their desire for more created a crossroads where they could not any longer pursue more and keep their faith, so they gave their faith up and chose more. And look at what the next line says. And have pierced themselves with many griefs. We all have this desire for more. And what this verse says is that desire for more pulls us away from the good things God wants to do in our life. So let me just summarize it like this if you want to jot this down. The desire for more is the greatest competition for your faith and the greatest competition for your marriage. You will not find a greater competitor for your faith or marriage than the desire for more. More what? More of anything. I don't have enough. I, you know, more money, more more relationship, more whatever. I don't have enough. This desire for more and more and more and more. What is the cure? The cure is love. To truly love God and to truly love your spouse satisfies your soul. It brings a satisfaction and a freedom and, and, and a, a release from those things. So this morning, I just want to share a story in Scripture about a person who found that freedom. Maybe you've heard uh, his name. His name is Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, uh, I'm going to read uh, nine or ten verses. Jesus was passing, uh, entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So he had, uh, if, I don't have time to give you the whole history, but he had sold out his fellow Jewish uh, friends probably some family, worked for Rome, overtaxed people, and kept a lot of it for himself, whatever Rome would let him keep. He kept it, and he became rich. He had amassed this large amount of wealth across his lifetime. 
So he, but he had heard about Jesus, maybe about his miracles, about his teaching, about who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree, look at this, to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, Zacchaeus had some kind of inner ache inside his life. I don't know, maybe all this uh, achievement and accomplishment of building wealth, Maybe it just wasn't as fun as it used to be, and maybe once he got this wealth, like a lot of people in our society do, he got his dream and realized it didn't satisfy him. You always think that. If I had a bigger house or a bigger car or a better car or a better job or could go on more vacations or have a little more money, if I had the money I wanted, I'd be satisfied. Well, that's not what, that's not what we learn in our culture, and that's not what Zacchaeus experienced. There was an inner ache inside his life and he was determined to find out more about Jesus no matter what it took. So here's this wealthy tax collector man of you know, great standing in the community. He's climbing a tree just so he can see him walk by. He was so fascinated by him. Nothing was going to keep him. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of sinners. That's a whole other story. You know, that's all the critics, right? There's always critics. Every crowd, there's critics. Every room, there's critics. These are the critics. Why is Jesus hanging out with him? He ought to be hanging out with us. We're the ones that, you know, love him. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. Are you kidding me? Four times, what has happened? Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, some of you may be wondering this morning, Hey, why, why did I come to church? Every Sunday is somebody's Sunday that they connect with God for the first time in a long time, in a new way, Every Sunday there's somebody here that maybe you haven't been to church in a long, long time. Maybe you haven't been ever. And maybe you just found yourself in this weird place. You're sitting in the back somewhere kind of checking it out and going, you know, I'm not even totally sure why I'm here. Maybe you're kind of like Zacchaeus. There's this little ache in your heart, and you decided you'd just show up and see what happened. You want to know a little bit more. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Now Jesus looks past this tax collector and all this other external stuff, and he sees straight into the ache in Zacchaeus's heart, and he says, hey, I'd love to spend the day with you. Now, this is what's interesting in this story. This, this may not be the only place in the Bible. It's only, show me if you can find it. It's the only place I can think of in the Bible where someone had a double conversion. Like they, they had two conversions at once. Zacchaeus had a salvation experience. Jesus looked at him and said, truly today salvation has come to this house. He had that conversion. But he also had a financial conversion. Somehow in that little dinner with Jesus, his eyes flopped open and he was able to see what he had never been able to see his whole life. And he said, I cannot believe the way that I've lived my life in this wealth and I never cared about the poor. I can't believe that I had so much for myself and didn't give any of it or more of it away. I cannot believe that I've lived all my life up until now hoarding this and cheating people to get it. I'm going to pay back 
400%. Everybody I've done wrong. Man, that is a, that's not a conclusion that you just come to when you sit down with your financial advisor. <laughs> Something has happened in Zacchaeus' life. So I want to just give you this little picture that we sketched out this morning and show you. So all your life before you're a Christian is everything before the cross, right? It leads up to this day when you meet Jesus. And I've got this little uh, circle with an S in it saying, okay, that's the moment. As you meet Jesus, as you meet the cross, you come to this moment of conversion. You come to this moment of salvation. That's the big cross. But just after that, it's always interesting to me to see what changes in a person's life first right after they become a Christian. It's very interesting. And, and by the way, it's oftentimes very different for people. I've watched a lot of people meet Jesus and come to faith and come to the cross, and it's so interesting the first thing that changes. I mean, I've seen people, maybe you've seen this, literally they have, a, they have an external physical demeanor change. They look different. You go, man, what, like the stress on their face is unwound. I've met people who, they, the, the minute they get converted, they have another conversion. They have, a, they have a relationship conversion. They say, I've got to stop sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. Like this is, they have an immediate conversion right there. Or, or I've met people who say, I have to stop treating my spouse and my family uh, the way that I do. I can't treat them the way that I do anymore. Something inside me's changed. I've seen people, uh, man, they, they have a conversion, and their other conversion is they have a spiritual hunger that is insatiable. They can't learn enough. They can't know enough. They can't grow enough. They're drinking in everything they can get their hands on because they've had this dramatic change. And that's the first thing that changes is this desire to grow. And, and I've seen people who, who, uh, uh, who have addictions, and the first conversion they have after salvation is the addiction's broken. And they, they, they're, they're set free. Or I've seen people who have a, a peace and joy. They've lived depressed and unhappy lives. And this, this conversion, this thing happens to them. This truth works through their soul and they're set free. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the first thing that dramatically changed in your life right after you got saved? What was it? Can you, can you think back and remember what it was? For Zacchaeus, it was money. The very first conversion that he had after conversion is money. And for, for all of us, we, we have other conversions. That's what these little crosses are. So this might be the first one that he had. But along your timeline of your life, you have these little conversions. You don't get saved again. No, no, you're saved. You're a Christian. But, but when you become saved for the first time, your whole life doesn't come under the lordship of Jesus. It, it takes a while. It takes time. It takes, it takes a revelation. It takes God. It takes experiences with the presence and truth of Jesus. It takes your eyes being open to things that your eyes have been closed to before. And so you have these little mini conversions along the timeline of your life. I was thinking this week back to some of the ones that I had. I, I remember when 
I had this conversionary thought that God wanted to use me. He had put gifts in me and abilities in me, and he wanted me to use me for his purposes. It was an overwhelming thought in my mind. I had a conversion. I can't go back and see it another way. That's why I stand here month in and month out and say, you need to go to live streams. Why? Because you'll find out what your gifts are. You'll find out what God made you to do and to be. You have a destiny and you have a purpose. I can't let it go because I've been converted. I had a conversion. I had a conversion early in my life when I was in um, college training to be a pastor, and I heard somebody say this, and it rocked me. Somebody said the average pastor in America prays 10 minutes a day. And that shocked my It hurt me. And I started to examine my own prayer life, my own Bible study, my own devotional life with God, and I began to say, I can not be one of those people. And I began to go to the prayer chapel at our little campus there and set time aside to be with Jesus. And I didn't have a time limit. I just went and stayed until I was done. Sometimes it'd be a few minutes, 20, 30, 40. Sometimes I'd be there an hour, hour and a half. I said, I've got to get this thing, this relationship with Jesus that he died to give me, I've got to get it down. And so that was a, that was a conversion at reaching the lost. Man, I, I was lost. <laughs> and, I, and I had this conversion in my life that God is a missionary and Jesus, his son, was a missionary. And if I'm going to follow them, I've got to be a missionary and I've got to do everything in my life I can do to influence other people to come to a relationship with him. And I just had a conversion over that. And, and so maybe, maybe you, if you've had a salvation experience, I just want to say this, but nothing else has ever changed. I would be very concerned about your salvation experience. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The Holy Spirit lives in your soul, and he's not satisfied to live in a temple that's not going the way he wants to go. So he'll keep working on you and he'll keep challenging you and he'll keep encouraging you and he'll keep healing you and talking to you and shaking things up and making things sometimes uncomfortable and, and he'll just keep doing things inside you. You can't have the God of the universe living inside you and have no other conversions. So if it's been 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years and you've had no other conversions in your life, I would be very concerned about your salvation experience. Can, can I just say it? I, I, if that's true for you, I think you need to get resaved. I don't think it took. <laughs> I don't think it stuck. Zacchaeus had a conversion about money. Have you? He did. Okay, so, so let's bring it back to where we started. The core reason that the number one frustration in marriage in America is money and the core reason why we're in such bad financial shape and the core reason we keep going into debt or we keep buying things that we can't afford or the core reason that 60 or 70% of the people who call this church home don't tithe. The core reason that, that we've, is because we've never had a financial conversion. So if you've never had a financial conversion, you're on your own. 
You're doing this thing all by yourself. You're just making your own choices. And the statistics in America tell us we're not doing very well at all. So the people who buy things they can't afford and the people who live paycheck to paycheck and the people who have too much debt and the people who don't put God first in their giving and the people who fight about money more than anything else are all the same people. So you have from this day until your last day to live different. And every day that you don't have a conversion or you don't bring this issue of money under the Lordship of Christ is another day you will look back on and one day regret. And certainly when you meet your maker face to face and you spent too much and you bought things that you shouldn't and you kept racking debt up upon debt and you sowed these seeds of poor management into your marriage and you fought and you fought and you fought and your kids grew up under it and they became the same way and they lived in debt and they didn't save and your grandkids and the more you pass that on the more the regret will grow and snowball on you so I want to offer you some help today on your info guide on the little tear off we're starting this summer we've never done this before but we're running a financial peace class this summer. Financial peace, if you heard of it, it's just kind of Dave Ramsey's money management, get out of debt, save, you know, get financial things in order kind of deal. It's fantastic. I would highly recommend it. So that little tear-off doesn't say, fill this out and you're signing up. That's not what it says. Because it does cost a little bit of money to go through the program. You have to buy the materials. But what that little tear-off says is, hey, next month in June, when you start the financial peace class, would you just let me know, would you remind me it's about to start? And we'll send you an email and say, hey, it's about to start. And if you want to sign up, here's how you can do it. If you don't, it's no problem. We'll, we'll offer it again maybe some other time. You can tear that off and put it in the, the box, on the drop box in the, um, at the Welcome Center on your way out. But let me tell you this. Over 80 people in our church have gone through financial peace. When that group of 80 people started financial peace, they had $2.8 million in debt collectively. Non-mortgage debt. Doesn't include their house. Consumer debt, credit card debt, student loan debt, medical bill debt. $2.8 million. To date, that group of 80 people has paid off $1.2 million in debt. I think that's awesome. And so we want to help you move the right way. We want to do everything we can do. But let me, let me be honest with you. We can give you a budget and we can teach you financial principles. But let me tell you the truth. It won't help until you have a conversion. It won't help. Until you have a dinner with Jesus. And you sit down and talk to him and say, God, I need help. It won't help. Years ago, I had a great opportunity to go to a Billy Graham crusade. How many of you have ever been to a Billy Graham crusade? Went to a Billy Graham crusade in the Georgia Dome. And Billy Graham was standing there and he had preached and it was a really simple message. And, you know, he said, some of you need to make a decision. And, of course, uh, the other, whatever the other guy's name, I forget, uh, George Beverly Shea, he comes out 
and starts singing, you know, just as I am, like they have for about a million years. He starts singing. And people from every part of the Georgia Dome get up and start moving. And like ants, I can see around the room, they're streaming down. And the entire infield of the whole thing filled up. And I just saw these people making a decision to come to Christ. And Billy Graham once said, I speak a simple message and I get out of the way and I give God, listen to what he said, I give God room to help people make decisions that they want to make. That's what I do. So this morning I come to you and, and I'm so burdened for you and I'm burdened for 1 Timothy 6.10 says this dilemma of wanting more and having more will it, America is on a financial runaway train there's no debate about that and that train will drag you away from your faith and it'll drag you away from your marriage and it'll drag you away from your family and it'll tear down many of the good things God wants to do in your life unless something changes so this morning I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision here's what it is today if your family's under pressure it might have nothing to do with finances it might be relationship pressure it might be physical illness it might be job pressure it might be you might have somebody in your home that's addicted you might have some marriage pressure today and I, I want to speak to you specifically for a minute when we have a prayer time this morning even if your spouse doesn't come I want you to make the decision to come and show your spouse I really I really want God's help I really want this to work whether they come or not if there's pressure in your family I want you to make a decision today to reach out for God's help maybe you're like Zacchaeus and you have this ache in your heart and you say you know what it's time today for something spiritual to happen inside me I don't know about my relationship with God and I want to have a relationship with God or I want to start one or I want to come back to God I want to renew my relationship with God there's an ache in your heart something's missing and you say all right God I, I, I want to come back or maybe today you need to have a financial conversion and something needs to change inside your mind maybe you have too much debt or you live in incredible financial pressure and it's time it's time to get this right look I'm just gonna say what Billy Graham said if the Holy Spirit prompts you you come if he doesn't don't come but we're gonna give God room to work and so I want to ask you to stand with me and I want to ask our prayer team if you come this morning I want to ask every everybody in the room to close your eyes we've come to this point just a little early this morning because I just brought a very very simple message to you and I just want to give God room to work and to help you make the decisions you want to make. Just find a place you can be comfortable and find a place you can stand by yourself. And uh, those of you on the prayer team or worship team, one of these might be true for you. 
And I just want to ask you to slip around to another prayer team member or slip around to, to someone close to you and ask them to pray for you. With every eye closed, we're going to begin to sing this song. And if the Spirit prompts you, I just want you to come for prayer. Reach out to Jesus and ask Him for help. If your family needs supernatural help, I just want you to come. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you. dismiss everybody and so we're not trying to embarrass you you just need Jesus and you know you do you know you need help all I would say is don't ignore the Holy Spirit's invitation he's prompted you come and as you come for prayer we'll dismiss and so kind of the pressure will be off it's not like we'll all be standing here okay we just want to help you. We want to encourage you. And we know that Jesus is the only answer. So one more time through. So holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my
you have a tear-off, drop in the box on your way out. Our prayer team's going to stay for a few minutes. And if you want to pray, you can do that. Would you just quietly be dismissed um, as we continue to pray? God bless you. Thanks for being here today.